well-being is a skill, it's something that we can cultivate. Our responsibility also, because we cannot give what we don't have, right? The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Emiliana Rodriguez. Emiliana is the co-founder and education director at Atentamente, a Mexican organization that helps teachers to cultivate well-being for themselves and for children through social and emotional learning programs. She holds a master's degree in mind, brain, and education at Harvard University and a bachelor's degree in physics from the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México. She has published now seven books for children and adults and has designed educational programs on social emotional learning for teachers, children, and adolescents that have been implemented at national level through the Ministry of Education in Mexico and also beyond. She is also delightfully a steering committee member of Caranga, the Global Alliance for Social Emotional Learning and Life Skills, and quite a good friend of mine. Emiliana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. So I'd love, I mean, I, I'm very excited for this conversation because the depth and breadth of work you do means we could take this in any direction. But from what you've learned, particularly this year, what, what, what has COVID taught you about social emotional learning and well-being for all human beings, but also for, you know, the millions actually that you've been supporting there in Mexico? Yeah, I think that we learned a lot from this crisis. The first thing is that social and emotional learning is not an extra thing, but it's urgent. And especially when we see that, for example, that we have to be isolated, that we are facing a lot of mental health, health issues. It's not just a physical health crisis, it's a mental health crisis, what we are living. And, and that we have tools actually to prevent the negative effects of that and to mitigate some of the effects that it's already having. But in order for this to work, we cannot just focus, for example, on children or students, but we actually have to work with the whole community. And we as adults have to be humble enough to also <laughs> open ourselves to new learning and in particular to self-awareness, to, to give us the permission to feel and to understand our emotions, to work with our emotions. And moreover, to build empathy and to build the social connections, even though we are isolated or we are far from each other physically. It's very hard for us Mexicans <laughs> and from the Latin American culture to really have this social distancing. And um, so we have been um, triggered to a road of uh, learning very unexpectedly. And um, so this is the first thing, the urgency and the need for all of us to really be learning these skills. And the second thing is that when we are living this mental health crisis, we see effects that are reflected, for example, on violence. In Mexico, violence, domestic violence increased 120%. No. And um, for example, just before the pandemic, it was very bad. Like 10 women die every day in Mexico because of violence. Uh, we had for some years also the first uh, um, 
the first prize, which is not a prize, of course, of bullying in schools in Mexico. Right. And uh, so violence is a problem, and that is linked to ethical behavior. Mm. So one big um, learning is that social and emotional learning has to be embedded in an ethical framework. And actually also values and ethics have to be taught together with the skills um, that enable us to embody those values and that framework. And so much of my work this year has been um, on how do we link those two? How do we link what is the relationship between self-awareness, regulation of emotions, the cultivation of empathy, collaboration with, uh, for example, living a life of freedom, um, having, cultivating a, a justice in a society, mm. or how to be honest, or solidarity. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. That's a, lots of wonderful connections there to explore. The, the one I'm really interested in is, you know, social and emotional aspects of development have always been crucial. And as you say, it's, it's likely they've never been more important than at this moment where we have physical distancing in place in lots of the world. Uh, masks, you know, there's a lot of really significant shifts that have, that have taken place. Um, so when you, when you talk about tools, I'd love us to, to do two things. One is to talk about the really practical tools that you've built directly through your work and you've seen around the world that have supported young people, um, but not just exclusively young people, ourselves as well, because we are part of this and the community at large. And the second thing is how do we go from focusing on the individual you know, the idea that this is about the individuals. Yes, it is. It's about us as individuals, but it's actually about us together as a collective. And that's kind of where ethics potentially manifests most. We live in societies, we live in groups and tribes. And so how do we make them safer, less violent, kinder, gentler, uh, and more productive, more innovative places to be? So lots of questions there. First one, though, is... Um, what are some of the tools, the simple things? You know, we had Mark Brackett, Professor Mark Brackett on the first episode. And he's, of course, is, well, how do you, you know, how do you feel and give ourselves permission to feel? Um, and so that idea around emotions is key. But what, what, are, what are the suites of tools that, that we can call upon to help us live and respond in, in these moments of anxiety and, and crisis? Yeah, I think the first very powerful tool is really to think about our vision and our understanding of well-being. Um, because that creates a sense of purpose and also give you like a North star to follow, right? Mm. So the first thing I would suggest is to really think what does it mean to be well? Because at first, when, when you ask, for example, this, I was just in a class today and I asked this to, to my students and they were very young mm. and then said about, well, to feel happy, to feel at peace, to feel at ease, and so it's very individual, mm. right? I want to feel happy. I want to feel good. But if you go a little further and think like, how do you achieve that, right? What, is, what are the really the causes of well-being? Then you start seeing that it's not only about you <laughs> or you getting the things that you like or getting more material things or more experiences that really well-being, it's a lot about connection connection to others. And that also well-being is not only about connection and of course, like having our necessities like covered and have a, um, some professional also things that 
that you like and give you a satisfaction, but that there are there is also like an inner dimension of well-being mm. that some some people call them the emotional well-being, some call it eudaimonia or inner well-being, right? And that you can actually learn uh, to be well and to really feel fulfilled and free and connected even when you don't have like all the material things in place or even when you are isolated as we have been during this time. Mm. And that is where things really get interesting. So first to re just really explore your vision that, that opens up another great tool, which is perspective and the need to also go deeper into yourself and your own resources, but also to create these con conditions to, to connection. So the first thing we, we work is vision mm. and sense of purpose. Mm. Then the second one is to really think about, okay, now I understood that well-being is something way more complex than I thought before. So what are really, where do I put my priorities? Right? Because the day only have 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And um, what am I doing with these 24 hours? And where is my time going? Where is my energy going? So if you ask that question, you can really see what are your values. <laughs> and if you're valuing really the connection to others, if you are giving time to really explore what about your own inner resources, your own inner potentials or not. Mm. And so that second question allows you to go into what is important and maybe to open up some time for those things that you realize that are important for your vision. And so that, that makes a window of opportunity for a new learning, for new opportunities, for new exploration. And once that, that is in place, a vision and a sense of purpose and a sense and space that allows you to dive deeper into yourself and connecting to others. Then very practical tools, for example, we call it the ABCs of emotional well-being. Okay. It's to really start training your attention and okay. awareness. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of, um, now, for example, apps. We did one for in, in Spanish, but there are many in the world um, to really do mindfulness exercises. Great. So to stop for the, like, it can be just uh, like one minute, but many minutes during the day, sure. you know, that you stop and instead of like just following your habits, you make a pause to direct your attention towards, for example, the, the sensations of your breath and be present a little bit. And just that we know that really creates a space between, like Victor Frankl said, between the stimuli and your responses. <laughs> And you can do different things. So that's where the learning starts with the A of attention or awareness. Mm -hmm. Then the B, B is for kindness. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, yes. take, take us through the ABCs, uh, even if, you know, sure. in Spanish. But that's, that's great because uh, something that helps people, as you say, the complexity of all the different factors that make us well or unwell, uh, you know, being able to remember or have these kind of you know, ways to understand like what what is my response? You know, if there's a stimulus, how do I respond? How do I be proactive as opposed to having to react when there are stresses? So, yeah, tell tell us about the ABCs. Sure. Yeah. So the B is a kindness or big heartedness, 
in Spanish is bondad. And it's also something that you can practice. Uh, for example, when we have some free time, like instead of being just like going through Facebook or anything like that, just distracting ourselves, we can purposefully distract ourselves or focus on someone, maybe someone we love, maybe someone that we haven't seen, and just bring that person to mind and spend some minutes like thinking, what does this person need? What do they like? And wishing them well, wishing mm -hmm. that they could have that. And that is, a, I mean, you're really training some specific um, networks in your brain when you're doing that. And those networks are also linked with your own well-being. So it's not, <laughs> not only you're like sending a good vibe, which is that already is, is good, but you are training yourself, imposing yourself to be ready to help someone when someone is in need. Mm. As an example of, of exercise of the B. That's great. And um, the C is for clarity. We, when we are in a situation like the one we're living with so much uncertainty, with so much of threats, really threats outside, um, we start thinking a lot and sometimes we start exaggerating or creating more worries than the ones that we're really having or, or have to deal with at the present moment. So working with clarity means to make the space to to notice what are we thinking and to, to question uh, if our thoughts are constructive mm -hmm. and objective. <laughs> and many times they're not. Yeah, absolutely. So if we are stressed out, if we are in a, um, a tact of anger or, or jealousy, it almost but for sure, 80% of the way that we are perceiving is biased. Mm -hmm. So clarity is about making the time to really stop and question your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And the third one is this direction that we already talked about. So really to every day, you can make a little pause also in the morning and ask yourself, like, what is my heart desire? What qualities do I want to cultivate today? What do I want to offer to the world, to the ones surrounding me, to the ones that are all the time in my house, right? And with those little doses of the ABCs, we know that we're really changing our patterns and even changing our brains and, of course, mm -hmm. our conduct. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that if we change that, we can make a bigger impact on society. Wow. I, I, incredibly helpful, the ABCD um, elements. Uh, and the idea around, I'd love us to talk a bit about the brain itself, you know, and with your background, you know, that often we think, I don't know if we think that intentionally about the connection between neuroscience or our brain and our behavior, <laughs> but uh, of course they are completely linked, you know, the, the mind body connection that you've done a lot of, a lot of kind of exploration and writing about in particular. Um, what would you share about, I would say more of the contemporary findings from the, the world of science, for example, whereas spiritual traditions for a long time have had particular views about this and turns out many of them were correct around mindfulness, for example, from the East. And now it's been validated in kind of Western, you know, psychology labs, et cetera. You know, what would you say about the kind of the cutting edge science of the brain and how it impacts well-being, and therefore the connection to things like learning or performance at work? Now, well, yeah, what's your reflection there, Emiliana? Yeah, I think that really neuroscience 
changed the way we think about human beings. The, the, the first discovery was the neuroplasticity because for a long time, when probably when you and I were studying at school, we were taught that you like that your brain, of course, influence much of your behavior and, and that the brain really developed during the first years of your childhood. And then that's where the patterns of your personality are formed. So for example, childhood was almost like destiny, right? And so if when you were a child and you were uh, educated in a way or you lived a life that made you like a, more prone to anger or to be distracted or to be jealous, well, that's how you are, you know? And you're not going to change much because that's already in your brain. That's already part of yourself. And we, we believe before that then you will grow old and yes, the brain is going to change, but it's just because it's going to be like decaying and many neurons will die. And if you hit your head, like be very careful because you're going to lose tons of neurons. And if you drink alcohol, that's going to happen to you. And so we, we thought about human beings as very like um, not easy to change. No. Like the things about your emotional patterns were part of your personality and that's how you are. And we can say that because of your brain, it's already there. The connections are there and I'm sorry, right? Mm. But neuroplasticity taught us that actually our brain is changing during the whole life. Of course, during childhood is when you make the most of the connections, but you're learning all the time. It doesn't matter if you have 80 years, right? You can still create new patterns in your brain and that those that you're not using, you will lose them also. So um, we are more malleable than we really think. And so I think that that's a great news because things that we thought that were something about personality is something that you can actually change. You can be more patient, you can be more focused and you can be more loving. Mm -hmm. And that's also another a very interesting finding in neuroscience, for example, that, that you can practice and you can increase the amount of care that you feel or the circle of empathy that you, that you have, that that is, um, that, that is our potential. Mm. And actually, we don't know how much we can do it. That's an open question. And I think that it's a, like, I, I'm passionate about that question. Like, mm. how far can we go <laughs> with that, right? Absolutely. And, um, and we also find that, for example, when you're practicing, just thinking about someone else and sending them good vibes, right? That just by doing that, you're activating circuits in your brain that are related to well-being. So the first wow. to be benefited on that, it's yourself. And not only that, you're also activating patterns in your brain that make you prone to action. So you will be more ready to act and to help if you have the chance to do it. And we can see that in the brain. And, uh, and for example, about these mindfulness practices, the A no, and, and mm. the awareness, mm. we also learned that these practices change the brain how the, the brain is connected. So for example, if you were born, let's say in a family or, or an environment that you live uh, with a lot of stress, that will reflect in your brain also. Mm. Like your system, like the emotional part of your brain will be more reactive. So it, you will be easily triggered 
to a survival response. But if you practice these mindfulness uh, exercises, for example, then the circuits of the brain can also change and you will begin to grow more connections with the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, which is the one of, um, that allows you to take perspective and think more about things mm. and diminish the reactivity of the emotional brain. So, so neuroscience, I think that really changed the game on <laughs> how can we change ourselves. Mm. That's, that's a one, wonderfully put, I think, Emiliana. I continue to learn with and from you. The, uh, I, you know, Hebb's rule of neurons that fire together, wire together comes to mind as, you know, one of the real findings from early findings from neuroscience. But this, this idea that when, when we talk about behavior, you know, shifting behavior, that we're talking about human development by default. And so when we think about schools or leadership or organizations, uh, this is absolutely um, what we need to be paying attention to. And I remember myself learning about the amygdala, you know, the idea of the emotional control center of the brain and the amygdala hijack, which is often when there's too much stress. And so you go into that fight, flight, freeze response. Or as, uh, as, um, as I've heard as well, the, the last stage, which is faint, which is where, and I don't know if there's much science behind this, but the idea that if you were being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, you know, you probably wouldn't want to endure all of the stress yourself so you'd pass out. But um, oh, I'm really interested in that. So draw for us then also the connection then between well-being and what we're trying to do in schooling systems and education systems. Because sometimes it's still seen as a dichotomy. It's like, oh, today, now we're doing learning and then on Wednesday morning, so we're going to do well-being or we're going to do pastoral care. Mm -hmm. Or we'll do, or we just we we launch a program, and that program's on Thursday afternoons, and it's a good program. But you know, how do we think in a more integrated way about the concepts of learning and well-being? Yeah, I really believe that the ultimate goal of education is well-being, and well-being you have to see the whole dimensions of it. Um, Rafael Vizcarra is a researcher from Spain. He has a model of at least five dimensions, like the material, the physical, the social, the professional, and the emotional dimensions of well-being. So when you think about well-being in that sense, of course, if you are, for example, in a, in a math class and you're learning something that will allow you to have a profession or to be like, you know, to move in the world, mathematics, it's beautiful. Mm. Anyway, but... <laughs> no, you're a physicist as you are. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. But it, like in any subject that you're like formally studying, I think it should be embedded in that framework. These are tools, are knowledges that will allow you to actually flourish in all these different dimensions which all are important. Of course, you have to provide, um, uh, that you have to have a house and your needs covered and you also have to care about the needs of other people around you because of the social. And um, so I think that we, when we see this in this way, there's time for making um, definitely like a focus, for example, on let's explore what about attention or let's explore what about emotions and let's explore about what about empathy in particular, because there's a lot to learn about those specific concepts mm. and skills to develop them. But at the same time, in any subject, it's why, why I'm learning this yeah. and how also do I learn it? Because Mathematics, for example, we know that you will learn it better if you, if you know that you can do it. 
if you have these automatic thoughts of, oh, this is too difficult, this is not for me, that's related with emotions. Mm. And that won't help uh, students to learn mathematics. So you as a teacher, for example, have to know that if they're scared of mathematics, they won't learn it as easily. Mm. And teachers also need to know, for example, that if children identify themselves with uh, that thoughts and they have a fixed mindset, mm -hmm. then they won't be able to learn mathematics neither. And if they don't see why mathematics could be useful for them in the society, also they won't learn it. Mm -hmm. so, so it's really, I feel embedded on the why do we educate and how do we educate better like mm -hmm. any kind of tools that we need in this world. Mm -hmm. I think that's that, the concept of purpose. Uh, and you mentioned Viktor Frankl earlier as well. And, you know, Constant, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, the idea that when we feel useful and purposeful, seen and valued, that's when we can, we can thrive, we can fully self-express. Uh, and I do think I like the idea of starting with why, because that gives us a purpose. And I'm sure anyone that's worked in education knows, you know, like, or anyone, frankly, has probably been a parent. It's like, well, why are we doing this? You know, is one of those key questions. And if we don't have a good answer, it's, it's quite a profound question in a sense, you know, well, why are we doing anything? You know, coming back to the idea of first principles. And I mean, a lot of groups across 2020 have been talking about this, the World Economic Forum with the Great Reset or the Great Pause or the Great Reckoning. You know, the idea is coming back and reassessing what the, this crisis has revealed for all of us and actually what are schools for and what are societies for what are governments for i mean these are the deepest questions there are but you know we may have gone i think it's there's pretty overwhelming evidence that we've gone a little off track in our world the fact that we've created such social inequality and also such environmental destruction and that really we need to not just pay attention we need to start by paying attention to that starting with the a and then uh, do then acting collectively to make the world better for all as we're all interwoven. So I'd love you to talk a little about leadership as well now, because we look at and the idea of ethics, right? And that you've been exploring quite a lot this year. So how might we create schools that enable citizens to grow and develop that are both well beings, they are beings that are well, but also have a very clear understanding of ethics and, and the kind of society they want to contribute, you know, to be making these, to enabling change makers to be the result of education systems that, um, that have that, the right mindset. You know, what, what, yeah. What's missing now? Because, you know, ethics or civics in, in the US, it's sometimes a subject, which is more around governance sometimes as opposed to ethics properly. And philosophy has a bad rap in most education systems. It seems it's a big waste of time. How do, we, how do we reframe that to be kind of embedded in the way that we design and deliver education? Yeah, that's a great question. And it was actually my, my research the whole year and <laughs> writing a book to try to communicate that. And I think, I mean, in Mexico, we also have that as a subject. And it's usually related with human rights, which is an amazing framework and it's a yeah. universal framework, I believe. But the problem that I see with, with that is that we usually talk about human rights and we talk about values, but rarely we see like how are we living those values ourselves? What does it mean to, to embody those values? 
and what is the good out of that, right? Because um, what we definitely see is that we're, I mean, we have a lot of inequality, violence, as you already mentioned, and that, of course, is structural. So it's very complex, right? It's in the system already. And you have that. Moreover, you have also um, a lot of media and a lot of um, influence saying you, like, you know, you have to really focus on yourself because you see, like, the system is really bad. And the authorities, at least, for example, in Latin America, is like the authorities are not looking after you. That there's a lot of corruption. So you don't trust on authorities mm. and you don't trust the system. It's awful. So you have to see for yourself is kind of the, the thing and, and everything is saying uh, that to you. And there's a lot of cynicism and also a lot of feeling that you cannot really change the world. So you hear like a lot of, well, I cannot do a different, I cannot make a difference. This is very complex or I just don't care because I have to see for myself. Mm. And then what happened? You have um, a lot of people, and that's increased because of the pandemic, that we are on the survival mode yeah. because you live this inequality and violence every day. So you are in a survival mode because you're under a threat. Mm. And then you don't trust the authorities, and then the community is kind of cynic or they don't, are yeah. not really involved yeah. yeah. on doing anything. And then what do you do? unethical actions and unethical actions make the gap even bigger more inequality more violence and then it's a, like a vicious cycle so how can we break that and i really believe that one way is of course to be aware of this this cycle and that you can act in three different levels and for me the first one is the individual so it doesn't matter how how bad we are in a moment like in which crisis but we can learn also to, to come out from the survival mode through mm -hmm. social emotional learning. So if you know about your emotions and how to start regulating yourself, that gives you a base of calm that it's self-created, right? Yeah. And that allows you to stay a little bit out of that survival and reactive mode. Yeah. And when you have that basis of calm, then you have the basis also to look to others. Right. And um, and so you can create a little bit more of empathy and start like an ethics, not of survival, or, but of caring of others. And um, and here action is key. If you can create spaces, for example, in schools and in collaboration with parents and with the civil society for students and everyone to start collaborating to solve maybe a little problem that it's meaningful to all of them. Something very little, like in the create a garden in the school or something. But then that collaboration is triggered and that you can see that you can actually do something. Then that is also the basis for creating more collaboration and for thinking a little bit broader, right? Mm -hmm. Not just about us, our little community, but the, the potential of our impact in the world. So, so I think that working on these three levels, individual, communities, locally and then go opening up to to global yep, that is something that we can all do mm, fantastic uh a lot one of the hypotheses that i hold i suppose and we hold at the learning future is this idea that 
the future of learning is is likely at the convergence of the social, emotional, and academic, or the cognitive. Uh, and it's also our capacity, and this is why it links to the idea of mindset, our capacity to continue to learn throughout life in life, obviously lifelong and life-wide ways, you know, diversity of learning experience, a diversity of connections um, with, with different types, people, languages, cultures, et cetera, ideas, and frankly as well, industries, you know, in the future of work. We know that with the kind of new basics for the, the new economy. Um, what if we could predict, and we can't, <laughs> with clarity but not certainty, what the future of learning might be in 2030 for schools in Mexico, just like schools in Australia, the US, you know, in South Africa and Zimbabwe, wherever the case is, what do you think optimal well-being will look like and how, how could we get there, do you think? Because, you know, it, another scenario is we, we kind of haven't moved that much really in, in this time. We still have this, this kind of divide between what we do um, and ultimately our, our aspirations. So, yeah, what's your reflection on that? For me, I really believe that optimal well-being uh, will come from, from really learning to be self-aware. And uh, I, I, I do believe that it all starts there because, um, for example, to, to be free in this world, to be open, to collaborate to others, to be flexible, that it's something that will be needed in the face of all the challenges that are coming and the technology and artificial intelligence and automatization and all this. We know that the skills we need to survive, there it's collaboration, it's flexibility, creativity, and that freedom is a need for human beings, it's just as air. And But how can you be free, for example, in a world that you have a lot of intelligence and a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, power really, calculating what are your desires and trying to manipulate you to do something. So for me, well-being really has to do with being able to be self-aware and to learn what are the patterns, what are the things that are pulling you from outside to towards paths that don't, don't, doesn't lead you to, to well-being. So to be really aware of what is well-being, what are the, the obstructions of well-being and what is pulling you towards that kind of actions because that is true. We all want to be well, but at the end, we sometimes act um, like destroying the causes of well-being for us and for others. So to really be aware of that every moment because every moment the, the landscape is changing and mm -hmm. we don't know how much is going to change. Right, So that is something that we have to be constantly asking ourselves. And in my ideal world, children will be asking themselves that. Like, what is well-being for all of us, not just for me, of course, like thinking about all its dimensions, what it's obstructing, obstructing it, and how can I change myself, transform myself to actually go to a path of well-being. And um, so, so a lot of self-awareness. And of course, that leads to self-regulation and, uh, and also understanding that living a free life, it's an expression of really being aware of our dignity and our inherent value. Yeah. And that inherent value that makes us unique and also that is something that we all share. 
mm. we all share this this common humanity. And so focusing on that, because we will need to collaborate with people who are very different, and that's great, but that's challenging unless we really are familiar with this concept of dignity and shared humanity. Mm. So that is something that has to be at the core values, I think, of everyone in order to, to, to live in this world. And... Um, and be very open to feedback and continuous learning. We will have to reinvent ourselves, like constantly, constantly. It's not something that you will learn this and then you're done. Like we have to, to create the spaces. Maybe, maybe schools won't, won't be like that now that you have to go through, you know, a specific subject and it's related to your age, but more like learning communities, learning spaces mm. where people will be able to come together and collaborate and create pro projects and create solutions. That's how I imagine it. Fantastic. Let's hope we can build it all together. I, I like, I love this reflection, you know, with a lot of intelligence and there's more and more intelligence and, in, you know, artificial intelligence in particular coming online. And so of course that's great for all of us, but how do we get more wisdom and more consciousness as part of that? You know, mm -hmm. um, Harari has this wonderful sentiment in his book, 21 lessons for the 21st century. And he says, for every dollar we invest in artificial intelligence, we should invest the same in raising human consciousness. Exactly. I think that's a really powerful insight because we look at the technology saying it will save us. Well, no, no, it's we are the people we have been waiting for, as the saying goes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And that, the concept around freedom, I think, is a really interesting one. You know, the, the notion of self-expression um, and our ability, that's, that's what makes us truly human ultimately is our agency, our ability exactly. to choose our response to go back to Viktor Frankl. You know, how do we do that? And how do we create that by design in all social systems, including in our education systems and our schools, you know, where young people are not, not just voicing what they think, but choosing their way forward and even better designing their own journey uh, in school, but also ultimately in life. You know, the idea of feeling seen, valued, and knowing that you are able to make an impact, I think is really, really powerful. Um, Emiliana, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'd love a final question for you. And it's, you know, we covered a bit of ground in this 30 or 40 minutes or so. What, what would be your take home for listeners right now? What's a kind of a synthesis of, you know, what you've discovered so far in, in terms of what you've been learning, but how you've been contributing as well? to the education ecosystem? I think that the take-on is about well-being is a skill. It's something that we can cultivate. It's not about luck. It does not depend on a pandemic going on. Know, yeah. it, it really depends on us. And, uh, and I feel that it's our responsibility also to be well ourselves because we cannot give what we don't have, right? So for all adults that are like really caring about students, about children, like really to think that we need to invest on ourselves. It's like uh, this oxygen mask in their airplanes, right? That you have to take it first and then give it to others. Well-being is the same. And that's not selfish if we go deep enough. Miliana, gracias por la conversación. Es un placer hablar contigo siempre. Muchas gracias a ti. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.